can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Hello and welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm Jeremy, here all by myself, basically doing a quick catch-up episode to buy some time before we come up with another group episode. It's been a little while since we've recorded, it's been a little while since we provided some content, and life has basically prevented me personally and some of the other people in the group, but, but I think it's mainly me this time, from contributing, unfortunately. So, Basically, I've had some issues with some family members being a bit sick, had to look after them, had to look after my kids, and then some other issues come along as well that have prevented me from recording. It's not my job, so it definitely gets low on the priority list to, to present a podcast, which is unfortunate because I really like doing it. I like contributing and I like recording, but if things get too busy or too hectic or whatever, it's the first thing to go. It also meant that over this time, my hobby time and my gaming time really got cut down to almost nothing. So I haven't really contributed much in terms of painting or in terms of gaming. So that's been unfortunate. I'm really looking forward to getting back into it. I've done a little little bit and I've got a little bit of taste and, and I'm ready to go, rearing to go and looking forward to it. In this episode, I want to cover a few things. I'm going to list what I'm going to cover and then hopefully if you want to continue listening, you continue listening. Otherwise, you just turn it off and wait for the next episodes, I guess. I'm going to talk about my contribution to the Warhammer community page. I got an interview there, so I'll talk about that. I'm going to talk about how we, as a podcast, as an Australian group, have interpreted rules and how we could be entirely wrong and how it's changed. The the, the hobby's become very global with our Facebook forums and other things. So being able to talk to designers is very interesting and hearing their intention, which is something we haven't had before. We've only had the text document. So that could be an interesting topic. Then I'm going to talk about a bit of a controversial topic here, the non-Games Workshop miniatures debate that's been raging around various forums and where people stand on that and where we stand on that and all this sort of stuff. So that should be interesting and hopefully I don't lose too many listens over it with my opinion. Remember, it's my opinion. It's okay to disagree with me. I'm not, don't hold a, a monopoly on truth of any kind. So if I say something you don't have to agree with me at all. I'll try to be reasonable about the other sides of the argument. Sometimes I'll be a bit tongue-in-cheek about that, but hopefully I don't put too many people off with my opinion there. And then I'm going to talk about something that's really got me interested lately in points match games, which is unusual for me. I'm normally a scenario-only person, but points match games, the 300-point level has got me very excited, and I'll talk about why that is and what it's done for, for my own hobby and for my own modeling and that sort of stuff. So, That's uh, something that's got me going at the moment and got me looking forward to the game. So, first thing, I got interviewed by Adam Troke for the Warhammer Community blog page. Uh, which is hosted on the Warhammer Community website, but also linked through the Forge World site. Basically, I just got an interview about myself, so how I got into gaming, general gamer profile, where I started, what armies I like, all this sort of stuff. For people who listen to the podcast, it's probably nothing too new. I've probably spoken about it before, but basically I talked about things like my favorite armies to play being Dunland and the Grimhammers, mainly because they're such a challenge to play, and if I get a win, I know I've earned it. I talked about the models that I like the look of, so... 
my Harrod, my Wood, sorry, not Wood Elves, my High Elves, and my Gundabed Orcs are my favorite to look at at the moment. But I try to put as much effort into every army as I can, so the, that changes. I really do like my Orcs as well at the moment, especially my Golgoroth Beast. Then I talked about how I started, and as listeners may know, I've started the game basically when the game came out. I bought it on release and have been playing it for, it's been, what, 17 years now, ever since. So quite a quite a lot of my life I've been putting into playing this game, and it's my opinions about it have changed over time. The ways I've played have changed over time, but it's it's really interesting to know that we're up to like a, maybe a third generation of players coming in. So people who knew at this point of time, so we've we've gone through. I remember starting out, and I was I was an adult when I started out, but I was a very young adult, sort of in university, and my gaming group was mainly people much older than me. So I was mainly playing with people in their forties and fifties. So that's I was I was the kid of the group. I was the young one. And now it's totally changed. Most groups I play in, I'm the adult one. I'm the one who owns a house. I'm the one who has a family. I'm the one who has all the terrain. I'm the one who says, I can't actually go out because I've got to look after the kids. Please come to my house. So it's really changed in that way. And it's been really enjoyable. It also means that my hobby time has gone from being something I could do during the day. I could sit there in the afternoon and do hobby to basically being exclusively at nighttime when the kids have gone to bed. That's slowed down my painting and gaming that more than anything else but I don't mind that it will, it will change over time and eventually my kids will grow up and they'll be able to do things on their own and I'll be able to bring things out during the day again but for the moment that's pretty much on hold because I don't really want a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old coming over and and assisting me too much they they can do a little bit they can they can move but they, they like to grab things they like to look at things they the one-year-old likes to put everything in her mouth and that can probably cut down some of the, the painting efficiency that I have. Maybe even the quality a bit. Having a, a chewed up elf probably won't look as nice. But I got onto this four-draw page and got interviewed basically because Adam saw some of my miniatures with the advertising for the podcast. So the podcast, you know that I've got a f- thumbnail that I put up there. And that tends to get more comments initially. Mainly because people look at that before they've seen the episode it, I guess, and and so they respond to that, and the, I try to make them as pretty as possible. Sometimes they're very quick, sometimes they're very relevant, sometimes they look nice, sometimes they're just what I've painted recently. But I put them up, and he noticed the elves and really liked them, so he wanted to to use some photos of those elves on the page, which I thought was really nice. Um, hopefully, hopefully I get asked to do something again with them, maybe get used in a future publication. I'm not sure. Who knows? I did send Adam quite a few photos, spammed his his feed. Uh, with them so hopefully they get used but I haven't been been pushing too hard for that of course because he's got to have his space he's probably very busy at the moment finishing up the rule book that's going to get done so I'll leave him to that but I was very happy to get on that got lots of comments from people who haven't spoke to before Um, it's it's something that people see as a real achievement I guess I do too it's it's to be acknowledged as just a general person I'm not anyone special I just have a microphone I'm just a gamer I'm just the person who's been playing for a long time but I'm purely a customer. I'm not. I haven't worked for Games Workshop. I haven't done anything official in any way. So to be able to to feature on that is feels like the old days of White Dwarf, where we used to have someone who would write in an article. And I really enjoyed doing that. So it's it's pretty much a web web article, a little bit about myself. It's got some pictures of my nice models. It's to generate interest. It's so that people can look and say, this is the kind of thing that I can do. And hopefully they can. Hopefully hopefully we get some more non-UK people in there as well. There's been a few UK people, but it's good to have it as a worldwide presence as well. So that's that's good to be involved with. So if you haven't checked it out, please check it out. It's just some basic stuff. People have asked me to start a gallery with my models at some point. I promise I will do this at some point. I'm not sure whether I do it on the Green Dragon page or I do it on a separate page in LinkedIn. I'll probably end up doing it on a separate page, not fill it up. 
I'm trying to decide whether I make it exclusively Lord of the Rings and Hobbit or whether I move it to anything I do because occasionally I paint a side project. For um, Some of you know that I do another podcast with the Red Jokers with Malifaux, so I occasionally paint a Malifaux model. It's definitely not my main game. This is my main game. But whether I put all my stuff there or whether I just make it a miniatures from Middle Earth gallery, I'm not sure. I have a think about that. I'm going to get better at my photography skills. That's going to be something to practice. Get get the lighting right. I tend to be a bit lazy with the lighting, and I've only got one light stand, and I sort of just smack it in the face of the models and then take a photo, which I know is not a good way of doing it. But I, I spend more time painting than I do setting up photography booths. Now, my next topic is going to be on rules interpretations. Now, recently we've discovered that some of the way that we read the rulebook, especially talking about how we declare heroic actions, is not how they play in the UK scene. I know this because I've been on the UK Facebook page, the Great British Hobbit League, and there was a discussion on there. Now, this is a difficult topic because the book itself is not the best technically written book. It's not. It's it's good. It's something that we can do, but it's important that we all play the same way. So what happens is certain communities start playing in certain ways, and they start interpreting in certain ways. If I was to make a flowchart of all the rules, there would be little bits missing, little bits of arrows that we don't know where it goes, little bits of repeats that we don't know where it goes, a few things that, that throw us off a bit. So we fill those gaps in ourselves, and sometimes we do it automatically without knowing, and so do the designers and the other players of the game. So if you play a game against one of the designers, for example, you're probably going to take their word for how it works. That might not be what they've written in the book, and they might not have communicated that the best, but that's, that's their intention of how to play. So what we've had is basically, if I've got this right, the way the UK players do heroic actions is you basically just start the heroic any phase, so let's just say it's a combat phase, one person will declare something, and the other person can counter and declare something else. But they don't have to. So I might call a heroic combat. The other person might say, no, I don't want to call anything. Then I'll say, okay, I'll call a heroic strike. And the other person might go, oh, I'm going to call a strike as well. We haven't done that. We've basically said that if you choose to stop calling them, you stop calling them. It doesn't happen anymore. But the way they play is you can just, at any time in that phase, come back in. My concern is when does the phase end? Do we? Do I just say... I'm just going to wait it out, let you call all your actions and then call a bunch of mine. Maybe I hold it off for a long time. It's not as precise as our method. Probably needs to be a little bit clearer in the rules if that's the intention, which is okay. For me personally, I don't mind either way. It doesn't really affect me. I know that some of our other podcast hosts, Matt in particular, is very upset to find out that what he considers one of the main tactical parts of the game is taken out. I'm not that fast. I, I think I'll just play whatever rules. I always find a way to, to outsmart my opponent given the rule set. And as long as we both know what we're doing, that's fine. It, it's really interesting, though, that this is something that some people said, oh, I'm sick of this question coming up. It always comes up. Isn't it obvious? And that worries me. Whenever you say, I'm sick of this question, it means it's not obvious. It means that people are still questioning it because it's not as clear as it could be. Sometimes I wish they could do a bit more flowcharts in the rulebook and things like that. I don't know that they necessarily have the skills to do that or the knowledge of that, but it does worry me that same questions come up and we're getting different answers for them. So hopefully, hopefully when the new rules come out, it will be a little bit clearer. If it's not, it's not really going to affect our enjoyment because groups will play the way they play and it's not that much of a problem when there'll be a tournament an organizer will say how it's played. That's okay. So it's not the biggest deal, but it is interesting to hear that actually finally hear designers' intentions, which is not something we've ever had before. We've always said we've got to do the rules as they're written, essentially, and as close to as we can. We Some of the stupidity we take out of it, if possible. 
and sometimes we put our own rules in, but we try to make it as faithful to the, the written document we've got. But now we've got a live person playing and talking just as well, saying what they intended. It does really change the dynamics, which is a good thing, I guess. It means that we can all, I guess on a global scale, come together and play in the same way. That will probably be a better thing in the long run. So yeah, very interesting to to hear those rules, interpretations, and how they're different. And I'm not too fussed about these particulars of it. It's what, same was in, when an FAQ comes out, just read and say, okay, that's how we're supposed to play that. No problem whatsoever. Everyone in the world's got something wrong. There's no one who's got everything right, except maybe the designers. Um, and even then, they haven't technically got it right because they haven't written it correctly, and they've changed things, and that that's all okay. It's a hobby, and we, we try to play the same rules. There's no real one-upsmanship of, oh, ha, 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 I've been playing this correctly and you haven't. It's it's how we interpret it. If it was a perfect document, then we could laugh at people for not understanding it, but it's not. It's just, it's not. And that's okay. Now, I'm going to get into the, the controversial topic. The one that, that we've actually been asked as a podcast what we think about this, because people know that I, in particular, and some of our other members have used miniatures from, non-games working miniatures for our Lord of the Rings and Hobbit games. And I have no problem with that whatsoever. Every single miniature game I've played has had third-party manufacturers making models for it. Historics do it. 40K, Fantasy do it. Any of the other games that do it, you, you use it. I use proxies in Malifaux, for example. Malifaux is a small company. I use non-Malifaux models in the game because I'm playing the game. And it's it's at that point, I'm a customer. I want to choose a model for whatever reason. Maybe it's because I like the look of the model. Maybe because I already own the model. Maybe because it's the model's cheaper. Whatever. I'm going to use that. And I don't have a problem with that. I think the concern that people have had is that in the Great British Hobbit League, they've put a rule that we can't essentially advertise models that are not Games Workshop models. And that's okay. That's their rules. They can do what they want there. But that doesn't mean the whole community has to stop using these models. It doesn't. We as customers... We do not enforce laws. If there is an issue with law, which there might be and there might not be, I'm not a lawyer. I sort of think that there might not be an issue, but I don't know that. If there is an issue, that's up to the companies in Games Workshop and New Line or Warner Brothers or whoever owns the rights at the moment to deal with. That's that's their job to deal with that. That's not us as a customer, as a community. We don't go and deal with who's playing what models and be heavy-handed in that way because that kills the community. It really does, especially for someone like me who owns every single Games Workshop models and I've got a bunch of other models to fill holes in the range because I want to play those rules, I want to play those models, I want to design scenarios. I've got village folks from all kinds of people and we've had these companies out for a long, long time. There's always been companies making alternative models for the game ever since I've been in it. So we had people like Ebob from in the early 2000s and... Shadow and Flame have been doing it for ages, and all these other companies who've been making models, and there's just just more and more. Now, I don't have a problem with the the GBHL enforcing their own rules. That's that's fine. But there is a community, and there is a group of people who have been put off by that. And I'm a bit more on their side, I guess, because these are people who they they're basically just being customers. And they're getting victimized by that or being put off by that. It's not a unanimous decision that people want to do. There are people who disagree with that. But you go on the, the GBL child page, that's their rules. They enforce that rules. They can enforce whatever rules. I'm lucky enough. I have a podcast, so I enforce my rules here. So I've got no problem with people posting and sending models of miniatures made by other companies. I'm never going to sell out in that way. Well, 
I guess there's probably one thing I could do to sell out. Maybe if Games Workshop remove the you pay double because you're Australian um, on all their models and all their range and all the Games Workshop stores, maybe I'd consider throwing a company under the bus for that. But other than that, I doubt it very much. I think it's not my job to do that. I remember when I first started making a tournament, I was part of a game club and we made a tournament. This was probably back in probably 2003. And at the time, Games Workshop tournaments always had a little disclaimer saying you must use Games Workshop miniatures. So in my naivety, I basically put that on my player's pack and submitted it to the convention. And I got told off very severely by the convention organizer saying that actually in Australia, that's illegal. There's monopoly laws. You cannot put the the condition of entering this convention is that you use this particular brand. This is There's other brands that you can use. They're, they're okay. You could use historic models or whatever. You cannot put that on there. And I got told to remove it. And I was put off by that a little bit. I thought, whoa, that's... That, totally blows my mind and then i thought about it for a while and said yeah of course it's not really fair to say well you can't play because you've got this model or you can't do this because you've got this model and then you're sending a very dangerous precedent across the board and i sort of asked well why can games workshop do that and basically they said because they're a big company they can get away with, with what they want and that's that's an interesting perspective there so not necessarily doing the right thing and maybe even to, to say you can't do that is wrong in, in some countries. Maybe it is Australia. I don't know how accurate that, that reading of the law is. I know that it's a lot more fluid than that. Um, I don't know the current laws on that. I haven't looked into it. So I don't know if that's still enforceable or ever, if it ever was. But that was an interesting one. The other thing I think about is that Games Workshop as a company has made their money off taking other people's IP. That's what they do. That's, it's tongue-in-cheek sometimes. There's still the the Terminator-based Necron range in 40K that they use. There's all kinds of ones. Basically, their Warhammer game was based on Tolkien's work. They're they're not afraid to steal other people's IP, and they've been doing that for years and years. So they're a company that I'm not going to rush out to defend and say, we've got to defend IP, they've paid for this IP, blah, 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 blah. That's not our job. That's their job. They can sort that out. And they've, they've been sneaky about going around and avoiding other people's IP, I don't mind if other people do it to them. It's, it feels like it's what everyone does to everyone in the industry, and I've got no problem with that. And if Games Work employees want to come on the show and, and discuss their point of view on it, I'm more than happy to have them on and hear their point of view. Because I know that some people disagree with me and say that that that's, it is a black and white rule. Um, I'm not so sure it is, but I'm okay with other people having a different opinion as well. That's okay. Basically, what I'm saying here is, the Green Dragon podcast will continue to talk about other companies' models. We'll continue to use that. We're not going to be dependent on Games Workshop anyway. We are independent. We don't get sponsorship from anyone. We don't get money from anyone. Um, all the money comes from the hosts, basically. We've talked about, at times, being able to get donations from listeners to help us buy new equipment and things. But in the end, up until this point, we've always said no because we, we worry that it might compromise what we do might also force us to have to put out episodes, which we don't want to do as well. So we're trying to stay independent in that way, and we always will. So our opinions will be our opinions. They might not be popular opinions. They might not be the right opinions, but they're going to be ours, and they're not going to be influenced by by other parties. So I don't know, a roundabout way of saying that maybe I disagree with what's happening on those pages. I don't think it's our job as customers to enforce it. I think if moderators on those forums... uh, kicking people out because they have a different opinion. They're doing the work of a company that they're not actually being paid by. Uh, I'm not so sure I like that. But, okay, that's their rules. If you don't like the rules, you don't go on the page. That's that's simple enough, and you can't complain too much about that. But 
I can make my own rules for this podcast. So that one, that one's over with. Non-games workshop miniatures. I've talked about that in my roundabout, controversial but not quite controversial way. You can get very sort of grey when you get get older about it and things. There's not always black and white. So the exciting part: three hundred point games. I've played a couple three hundred point games and really, really enjoyed them. I really enjoy them because it's an opportunity to bring out a very small board. So I've been I played my first three hundred point game recently on a two foot by three foot board. Against David, I was playing with my Gundabad Orcs with basically two generic captains, a dozen guys, generic swordsmen and generic spearmen, and an ogre. So a very small force. The courage is okay, but if it starts to take casualties, I'm in trouble. And he played with my high elf. So he used Arrestor, which is one of our favorite characters we use all the time over here because he's got good defense, he's got terror, he's got throwing weapons that reroll wounds. He's a really solid elf character that we see all the time, very popular, opposed to the, the Middle Earth blog that they had recently saying that he wasn't very popular. And some, some high elves. I think it was one Rivendell Knight captain and then some infantry. And we're playing a mission based on an old scenario called Storm the Camp where essentially you had to get over to the other side of the board where where more of your own models were there and less than the opponent. So you had more models than your opponent in the opponent's corner. And I really like this scenario because it's not only one where you have to attack and defend, but you have to pick the right time to go all out. So sometimes you run forward, you realize you're not going to make it, so you run back, you run forward, and you get a really interesting dynamic. It also gives a real simple scenario condition endings. Like basically... My orcs had to storm the camp before I broke. Otherwise, I was in trouble. I would have disappeared. The elves would have taken over. So that was going to be a fun game. And we started the game out, and the elves had about three elf bowmen. And these elf bowmen were able to take out two of my Gundabed orcs almost immediately. And that put me right on the back foot. And it was really scary because every single casualty makes a difference. Every single time you take a, a, a wound or a, you get a kill, it really affects the game. So I suddenly had an opening where the Rivendell Knight might have been able to run through and storm my camp almost turn three or so very early on in the game because my backfield had been shot out by the elf archers as my main force was advancing. So then I had to call a march, I believe, and get close enough to the uh, the elf. And then the next turn I had to do a heroic combat to get even closer. And I managed to get just in range of the, the Rivendell captain to be able to block him off and then take him out in combat. And that was such a scary moment. I couldn't... I forgot how important that the marches are because to be able to, to move that distance really meant that I could keep up with the cavalry for a turn and then use the combat to slingshot me even more. I was able to get back to the backfield. So that that was one of those nail-biting moments. And then, led by my ogre, I was able to storm the camp Basically, I kept six inches away from a rest all the whole game. He didn't make combat at all. And if he did, he probably would have ripped through my guys. But I was able to avoid that, able to draw him off. I had a couple of berserkers that were hiding in a forest, basically waiting for an opportunity to storm the camp, but just, just holding up the elves, just keeping them there. And we had a really good game. I managed to win it just, but it could have gone either way. And it was such a really good game. It was a quick game, but there was a lot of tactics involved. A surprising amount, because... The difference between having two and three models in a single combat was huge. You couldn't always get the traps. If I wanted to get a trap to make the kill easy, I had to devote three models, which is essentially a quarter of my force. So it was a huge disadvantage to go and do that in terms of positioning, but a huge advantage if I got the kill, because it would reduce David's force by quite a bit. So I really enjoyed that game. 
And of late in our Australian scene, we've been talking about the idea of bringing rankings in, which I know that some of the other scenes got. And I think it was more popular this time, but it still got to voted down. The concern for us, for a lot of players, is that we, we have a, a scene where people bring all kinds of armies to tournaments. They often bring very different ones to a, to one in a row. Sometimes they'll bring something they'll try out of left field, so they'll take a Fellowship or a Thorin's Company or something, and there's no pressure on it. If you lose, you, there's no nothing to be, to be lost. But my concern with the ranking system is that it turns into every game matters. So you get people bringing the same list and the same powerful things and always you must take this. This is the formula for winning. And we don't really want that. We want to be telling stories and doing themed armies. So some people were against it. Some people were very much for it. But the other thing is it probably doesn't necessarily grow the scene. So there was discussions about how we could actually grow our event scene and our tournament scene. And we talked about the idea of almost narrative tournaments and I've been working with Dion, and he's been been the mastermind behind this. It's a really great idea. He's going to run a 300-point tournament, which is based around Rohan. So it's got Rohan, it's got like Dunland and Isengard, and he's written some scenarios for it for, for 300 points on 4-foot by 3-foot boards, and it looks like it's going to be great fun. I've been trying some of the scenarios out and having a ball with it. It really does make the Dunland warriors come out, because you'd be able to have a horde of wildmen fighting against Rohan. It's, it's really amusing. The problem is that even at this level, you've got some characters like Urkenbram, which are, are way too much for the points. But if people sort of just just self-regulate, I guess, make sure that they're not being stupid about it, it's all good. If you want to take the all-berserker army, yeah, you're probably going to go and, and win against most things. If you want to take certain things, you're probably going to. But I hope people go and take it for the story. So take a, a mob of of Urukai that have been going out hunting Ents, or take a Rohan village, which has got a mixture of cavalry models and an infantry that have been put together, and maybe one hero. So it's a really interesting format, and one that I've really enjoyed. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's in May that we've got our tournament there. Hopefully we get lots of people coming along. It should be really interesting. I think at this point level, you need to have different scenarios. I think you should avoid the break and leader kills as victory conditions, because it makes everything very similar. I don't mind having leader killers maybe the only objective for some of them, but it's worth mixing them up. I really like some of the old Legions of Middle-Earth scenarios for this points level because they always had one mission, but they were very clear about it, and you, you actually focus on the mission. So if it's like a reconnoiter scenario, you actually would go and do that. You wouldn't just, okay, I'm just going to get leader kill. There was no fight and just kill the banner type things. It was always, if, if your job was to break the army, that's what you did. If your job was to kill the king... That's what you did. If your job was to hold an objective, that's what you did. And that's what I enjoy. So I think about three three objectives is good if you want to play an objective game. I really like the Storm the Camp variant. But you can also do crazy things like Dion's been designing some Light the Fire scenarios and put them out. Very similar to the Two Towers Journey book, which is good fun. I had a, a visitor from the UK over, actually. Met on the, the Facebook forum. Just a, just a guy I met on the internet. Uh, Cameron, who came over, and Matt and I played a game with him. We played a scenario... Uh, the Bayonne scenario with the Eagles and the Gundabad Orcs. I can't remember what it's called, but it's from the the new There and Back Again book and had a great time doing that. And then we played a 300-point Rohan game and had a good time with that. So Cameron's going to come to one of our tournaments soon. And it was really good to have a visitor from overseas come and play. So that was that was quite enjoyable. So thanks for that, Cameron. But yeah, my in conclusion, I've been rambling and going in branded circles for probably more time than I expected. Give 300-point games a try. They're really good fun. Uh Basically design themed opposing forces and, and design a fun scenario amongst yourselves and have a good time with them. Check out the uh, 
the, the Warhammer blog, the Warhammer community blog, if you haven't already done that, and read my article there. Uh, rules interpretations, my conclusion on that was that, yeah, it's funny how often we get them differently, and hopefully we get a book that's clearer, but if we're not, basically, you've just got to have, rule your own scene. If you want to all follow someone else's scene, that's fine as well. It doesn't really matter there. And the Green Dragon podcast is going to remain independent. So we're going to we're gonna not do the job of the the lawyers and that sort of stuff. If people make models, we'll talk about them. We'll we'll use them if we see fit to use them. We're customers. There's nothing wrong with us doing that. And if people have issues with them, it's up to those companies to sort those out. It's not something that we're going to do. And we're not going to claim that someone's doing something illegally or not when we don't have the, the law background or anything else to be able to study that. That's not our job. So... Our job is to provide some entertainment through the podcast. We've probably broken some laws at some point. I know I use some of the music in the background. Maybe I can get in trouble for that. If someone sends me a cease and desist letter, I'll stop it. But I haven't had anything yet. So that's all right. I guess I don't know my address. I keep that secret. But anyway, good to, to speak to you all again. We'll get some more content going soon. Um, we're hoping to get some, some ability to be able to record remotely from each other, some Skype technology. But we haven't quite got it set up just how we like it just yet. But we're working on that. So that's all for now. Remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.